Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. Thank you for joining me. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it? Uh, nice to have a little break in between the triple header that we had in Europe for F1 and now we're back in the Asian Pacific region. You know, like how good is it, you know, to be in a time zone which is a lot more friendly to us here in Australia and New Zealand and even, you know, parts of Asia too. Not that the Singapore Grand Prix really gave us um, anything to look forward to in terms of being at a closer time. But this weekend for the Japanese Grand Prix, definitely it'll be at a much friendlier time than what we're used to throughout the season. So hope everyone's well. Hope everyone's had a good few weeks. I know there's been footy finals on. Um, which, you know, I still can't get over my heartbreak. North Queensland Cowboys being knocked out in the prelim by Parramatta, who then went on to get absolutely flogged by Penrith in the grand final for the NRL. Um, yeah, I just, I, I was lost for words, basically, so I don't think I'll recover from that fully until next year even. But, you know, when you make it this deep into the season, you kind of hope that you go all the way. Anyway, before you start complaining, you know, this is meant to be a show about race cars and all that sort of jazz, not not football or rugby, AFL and whatnot. Um, let's get to it. So the Singapore Grand Prix, or the, the slog fest as I like to call it, uh, say it's a slog because it was a long one. Um, it ran through to the two-hour limit. It was delayed by an hour as well because of the heavy downpour that came pre-race. And then, of course, there's got to be controversy around that too, where rather than just, you know, getting straight into it, uh, the FIA and F1 decide that, you know, we've got to undertake the pre-race uh, grid ceremonies, the national anthems and all that sort of thing. You know, it's something that I guess the organisers pay a lot of money um, to put on or they make a lot of money off it and vice versa. So, you know, if they can do it, why not? So, you know, it just meant delaying the start by an hour um, and then once it got underway, pit lane opened, you know, they did the ceremony as normal, and then I think five past the hour, or five past midnight for us here in Australia, the East Coast, uh, the formation lap was underway, and then didn't finish until, you know, five past two in the morning, so it was a definitely a bit of a, a slog in that respect, and a, and a slog for, for the field, it was a big race of attrition, uh, we lost a quarter of the grid, as I predicted on Grid Talk after qualifying, said yeah, we'll easily um, see a, a bold prediction, I think was, yeah, half the, or not half, sorry, a quarter of the grid at least would not see the checkered flag, which was the case with six cars going out, and you know, there was just so much going on, wherever you look, you had incidents with Max Verstappen, you had incidents with Lewis Hamilton, George Russell had a bit of a stinker as well, and then in the end, what it gave us was Sergio Perez winning his second race of the season, and that's despite a post-race penalty as well, he was given a five-second time penalty and a reprimand for two infringements under the safety car, but he was 7.5 seconds clear of second place Charles Leclerc to be able to negate that five second penalty. It was a bit silly how, you know, they announced towards the end of the race that this investigation would take place after the race. It's like, come on, we don't need a 
question mark or an asterisk over the race winner you know why then do all the podium stuff and then only for him to be knocked off kind of thing so you know that's that was a bit silly in that respect but you know I guess they have their procedures and they need to be able to talk to the driver post race as well and see what his uh views are but in the end it was a slam dunk for them they gave him the penalty not that it did anything in terms of um cost him the victory which was good for for Checo but really it was his best weekend you've got to say um as a Red Bull driver probably one of his best races that he's um driven in his F1 career he qualified on the first row of the grid in second he was what two hundredths behind um or two tenths sorry behind Leclerc who got the pole position. Um, it was a funny old qualifying session going from wet to dry. Uh, Leclerc, as I said, on pole position. Verstappen, he underfueled. He ended up having to abort at the end because they wouldn't have enough fuel and that really angered him because they were give, brought into scrutineering. And, you know, we've seen in the past what happens if you finish qualifying um, or you run out of fuel in qualifying or you don't have enough fuel to give a sample to scrutineering in the FIA is that you get sent to the back of the grid just ask Lewis Hamilton back in 2012 where in Barcelona that happened to him and we had Pastor Maldonado start on the front row or on the on pole position so bit bit of a WTF moment for Max and for Red Bull or for Red Bull certainly because Max was furious and you know he is right in saying a team as good as Red Bull why are you making a mistake like that, which seems pretty amateur, but, you know, mistakes happen in the end. Come the race, Checo made the better start, led into turn one. Um, Both Hamilton and Max lost positions on the first lap. I think Hamilton got uh, sent wide into turn two by Carlos Sainz, and there was actually a little bit of contact there. Max was, I think, as low as 14th, I believe, in the opening laps after starting eighth, so not great for him in that respect but then that's where the race of attrition started so because it was intermediate conditions um and this is the thing you know the race control and everybody waiting for conditions to be good enough to use inter tires i mean what's the point of having a wet compound tire if you're not going to use it kind of thing so could they have started the race earlier uh question mark around that and go on the wet tires hamilton certainly thought you know wet tires would be better off given his pace in the opening laps on the Inters, he's like, you should have just listened to me. Um, but the Inters actually proved to be the tyre of choice. It was just a matter of patience, like in Turkey a couple of years ago, where uh, the longer you drove on that set of Inters, they you know, kind of eroded into basically a, a hybrid between a slick and an intermediate. And for some reason, you know, beyond the laws of physics or whatever, um, that kind of tire or that condition of the tire is best suited to the track. And given the fact that the race is at night, despite all the humidity, there's no sunlight to dry it up either. So you had damp patches everywhere and hanging around for quite a while, so it did take quite some time for them to actually uh, create a dry line for them to be able to switch over to the slick tyres. Um, but basically, yeah, the race of attrition began, cars started dropping like flies, you had Nicholas Latifi going to Guan Yu Zhou, unfortunately for Joe, um, 
it was <laughs> another instance of bad luck and not his fault that he's found find him he found himself out of the race Latifi out too you had both the Alpines succumb to uh, engine related DNFs as well so a bad day for them in terms of their constructors championship tilt for fourth and we'll touch on McLaren a bit later and then Alex Albon who you know an absolute legend a couple of weeks ago or a week ago he was on a ventilator after coming out of surgery and not um, waking up or whatever, uh, the surgery for appendix, uh, getting his appendix removed, and he did such a great job, he out-qualified Latifi, who we all know is not going to be at Williams next year, so again, you know, someone who just come out of hospital on being a ventilator is out-qualified Latifi, that's so sad, um, he ended up going into the wall as well, and then drove out, and I think the damage was too bad, but then on lap 36, we had a safety car come out, uh, after other safety cars, of course, too, um, but this was the most significant one because this was kind of the crossover point where uh, drivers were switching over to the slick tyres. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda ended up in the turn 10 wall and um, we saw most drivers pit just before this to go over to the medium tyres. I think a lot of them went on to mediums, but it was McLaren who they were solid. You know, Lando Norris in the top 10, Daniel Ricciardo had qualified 16th, but was in it, found his way into the top 10 in those greasy conditions. Both of them were given a free pit stop and were able to keep the track positions that they had, uh, which meant that they won in that period. They were the only drivers um, who made it to that part of the race, hadn't pitted, and were able to get that free pit stop during the safety car. So that really, you know, for once made um, a great call in terms of strategy and just both cars looked very competitive. So got to say that it was a bit of a win over the weekend for those guys. Lando briefly in the hunt for P3, but you got to say the Ferrari of signs was much quicker. Whereas again, you know, Ricardo 16th to 5th, which is where he finished at the end of the day. What a result for him that is, you know, given the fact that he's not going to be on the grid next year, it looks likely. Um, he's really not had anything to be happy about or like no one's had anything to be happy about with Ricardo this year in terms of his results. And he goes and puts in his best race of the year. So I think that deserves a very, very firm pat on the back be like you know this is what we wanted to see from you every weekend you know so hopefully um heading into the last few races of the year we can see more points performances like this because what's happened is this has put mclaren back ahead of alpine in the constructors championships alpine not scoring any points and mclaren are suddenly four points back ahead so they're going to have to rely on more performances like this rather than uh, Alpine uh, falling over themselves or whatever or misfortune for them to be able to wrap up fourth in the championship because it would be an unlikely result for McLaren given that they're not actually the fourth quickest car and they've been they've been you know aggrieved by so many different problems this year as well. Anyway, Max, he was in the hunt for the top three, you know, despite being as low as 14th, but then his race kind of went awry when he locked up on the safety car restart or trying to battle with Lando, um, and then he was back outside the top 10 and then drove solidly to come back to P7. He was involved in that epic battle between 
uh, himself, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton, three world champions with 12 world championships between them all fighting for the same bit of tarmac. Um, there was one moment where, you know, Max is trying to, or Lewis is trying to go past Seb and then locks up, goes on, and then Max ends up taking both of them. And that was the way it ended with Hamilton finishing, sorry, with Max finishing in 7th, Vettel in 8th, Hamilton ninth. Uh, so what happened to Hamilton earlier in the race too is he found the wall on lap 33 before the um, safety car came out for Tsunoda and ended up damaging his front wing, but um, it was the perfect time for him to pit because he needed the slick tyres and also was able to get that front wing uh, repaired as well or get a new front wing on it. So that was uh, that allowed him to come back into the points and fight. He was quite unhappy through the race. I mean, coming into the weekend, you would have thought this would have been a track where Mercedes would have done well at, um, and then to only come away with ninth and then 14th for their other car in Russell, last of the classified runners, I think is definitely not um, the weekend they would have been hoping for, and particularly with that battle in the Constructors' Championship as well. Um, Ferrari's lead has kind of ballooned out again, uh, but it's still possible with the last few races that they can overhaul that 66-point gap. I definitely still have the belief that Mercedes can do that and even win a race this season too, even if they weren't able to get the chocolates this time here. Um, so yeah, Vettel 9th, Hamilton uh, Vettel 8, Hamilton 9, Adelaide Stroll ahead of the Trio World Champions in 6th. Um, given the fact that both Astons were knocked out in Q2, I think they were just, they kind of failed in their gamble on slick tyres in Q2, given the conditions, and they would have been ahead or they would have been behind. In the end, it's where they finish in the race, and, you know, they've had their best race of the year to have both cars on the points and a top six finish, so I think they'll be quite chuffed with that. It's also kind of compressed that battle for... Where are we? Fourth, fifth, sixth for seventh in the constructors because Aston have suddenly jumped up to seventh, and then they're only three points ahead of Haas and AlphaTauri. Who AlphaTauri have dropped to the bottom of that trio. Haas is in the middle with um, tied points with with the uh, Red Bull sister team. So, you know, you got to say AlphaTauri are having a real dog of it at the moment, Gasly in 10th scores a point, but, you know, they've just had no pace, they've, they just look so bad at the moment, and heading into, like, a, an arguable home race f for them, in terms of their uh, engine supplier, even though it's Red Bull powertrains, we, they've still got Honda branding on it, or whatever, so it's going to be an important race for them, and for Sonoda as well, his first home race in Formula 1, given the fact that since he came into the sport, um, we haven't had a Japanese Grand Prix due to COVID and all, so they'll be looking to bounce back over the weekend and do better. But yeah, you know, Haas as well haven't looked like they've been close to scoring points recently. We did see Kevin Magnussen qualify in the top 10, but in the race he was really nowhere. He still finished ahead of his teammate though, Mick Schumacher in 12th, um, behind Valtteri Bottas in the Alfa Romeo. And then you've got George, George Russell. <laughs> he takes fastest lap despite finishing in 14th. That was just to stop Ferrari potentially getting fastest lap and a point uh, going in their favour. But he couldn't get into Q3. He um, turned into uh, Mick Schumacher as well late in the race and then came on the radio and said, oh, he turned into me. It's like, no, George, 
you turn it to him now get on with it so he really had a, a real um a dog of a time i said that already about someone else but um it's very true for russell as well because uh it kind of ruins his good streak that he's had this year of finishing in the top five or top six so you know not a good result for him but they'll move on they'll move on and um title number two for max is basically put on hold until this weekend now in japan you know you'd expect uh at a more less chaotic circuit like suzuka even though you know suzuka can be chaotic in its own respect uh, that we might see Max wrap up his second championship. But there's been more sorts of, um, you know, more sorts of things going on behind the scenes at the moment in to do with the cost cap and stuff. So apparently there was some kind of leak or some kind of information brought out over the Singapore weekend about two teams in 2021 potentially having been over the cost cap and that the FIA's findings or whatever or like they were finalizing some documents to do with the 21 cost cap would be published on Wednesday which was yesterday and we didn't have anything at all and it's been conveniently delayed till next Monday the 10th so you know rather than sitting here talking about that you know we won't be able to or I won't be able to in that respect but like we said over the weekend um all the discussion was brought up in the grid talk qualifying chat uh was the fact that you know regardless of who's done it you know we're not pointing or I'm not pointing fingers and saying oh it was this team it was that team because we don't know yet you know, it's all speculation and hearsay. But what it is going to be is a test of the FIA as an administration and a governing body that they've set this cost cap in place or the budget cap in place. You know, they're trying to model themselves after other sports in the world who have salary caps and budget caps and everything. If anyone is to breach that, then they're gonna ha- they're gonna have to be sanctioned, and the sanction is not just gonna be a fine or something minor like that. Because you know, why hit a team that's overspent with a fine? Because the reason they've overspent is because they've got the money to be able to do so. You know, you need to hit them where it where it hurts, and that's you know things like championship points or suspension. Or even a complete array, like erasing of their results from a particular championship. And I used the example in an article I wrote this week for the Raw um, of the Melbourne Storm in the NRL and their uh, salary cap breaches between 2006 and 2010. And in that time, they won two premierships, uh, two, which is the equivalent of two championships, which were stripped from them. And then for the 2010 season, even though they had to play all 24 games, uh, and, you know, do things as normal as it were, they were playing basically for no um, premiership points. So on the ladder, they were just at the bottom of the ladder. That was it. There was no, you know, get two points or four points or whatever and um, move on to the next week. You know, they won 14 of their 24 games, which would have given them a spot in the top eight and play finals. But, you know, they were rubbed out basically for the season for the the breaches to the salary cap so this is where it's going to be a test of the FIA and you know Formula One is that if anyone is to be found in breach whether it's a minor breach or a major breach because they've been broken down into two um, separate areas 
where a minor breach equates to an overspend of less than 5% over the budget cap and a major breach is an overspend of over 5% of the cap. So, you know, to me, a breach is a breach regardless of how much it is kind of thing. And if you're over or by 5% or under 5%, you're still over and you need to be punished for that. And like I said, financial penalty or fine is going to be meaningless because these teams will continue overspending because they have the money to do so. So hit them where it hurts um, and make sure they pay. And I know a lot of people at the moment, you know, they haven't quite gotten over Abu Dhabi and all that sort of thing. So it's always going to come up in that respect. And if if certain team in like Red Bull, for example, get found guilty, it's like, oh, is this them trying to right a wrong for that? It's like, should have nothing to do with that. It's the fact that, you know, if they've breach the salary cap or the budget cap then they need to be punished and they need to work out what the punishment is and make sure it's black and white enough to either deter people from doing it again in the future or if someone does it again in the future that they're given the same penalty that's it there's no gray area in this and you know Christian Horner saying a while back apparently about you know you don't want to play a game of chicken or whatever it's like you shouldn't even be pushing it to play a game of chicken like enough is enough with this whole mentality about you know you know we're formula one we can do whatever we want or formula one's about pushing all the boundaries yeah push the boundaries of technology and innovation not you know cheating a salary cap basically so you know that's something that some people won't understand and it's it's mind-boggling really how simple it is but um you know that's why they paid the big bucks that's why they're a hell of a lot smarter than me apparently anyway we'll move it on and you know hopefully if we do find out more about this next week i'll go over it in the uh, japanese grand prix review show Move it on anyway. While we were, um, while there was that break between Monza and Singapore, we did get the 20, 20 I was about to say twenty twenty four, um, twenty twenty three calendar uh, published with twenty four races confirmed to be on there. The likes of Las Vegas on there, Chinese Grand Prix set to return, as well as being round four in April. We've also got Monaco having signed a new deal to stay on the calendar, as well as Spa, which we knew. So the French Grand Prix has been dropped. No South African Grand Prix like we were hoping as well. Nor is there any kind of geo-blocking, which was a big talking point for 2023. I keep saying 2024 because, you know, it's 24 races. It would just roll off the tongue a lot better, but unfortunately, no. Um... Yeah, there's still a lot of crisscrossing the globe involved, particularly, you know, when you look at the last round between the last two rounds going from Las Vegas to Abu Dhabi, that's a bit of a bit of a hike. At least you've got your American races, Austin um and North American and South American races together in terms of Austin, Mexico and Sao Paulo and Brazil. But then, you know, you've got your two Asian races, Singapore, Suzuka and Qatar in the middle of it. Uh then go to America then at least the European races in the middle of the season are all together. The only change being is that Spa now comes before the mid-season break, so then when we come back, we go straight into the Netherlands and to Monza. But yeah, I don't know. I still think, personally, 24 races is too much. 
but we'll see. We'll see what happens next year. Also, Bahrain's on my birthday, March the 5th, so, you know, am I going to stay up and watch that or stay out all night partying? I don't know. Either way, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> um, Alright, so let's move it on then from F1, because it's my other favourite race of the year this weekend, the Bathurst 1000. Uh, the great race returns to its traditional October slot bustling grid this year with three wildcard entries so we've got the likes of Craig Lowndes uh, partnering up with young Declan Fraser in the Triple Eight entry with a super cheap auto backing so nice of Triple um, Eight racing to run another third car this year like they did for um, Brock Feeney and Russell Ingle the year before with um, the super cheap auto sponsorship we've also got the most hyped one I reckon is probably the Erebus Motorsport third entry with the all Kiwi lineup of Richie Stanaway and Greg Murphy of course Greg Murphy returning to the mountain for the Bathurst 1000 for the first time since 2014 and also bringing that classic number 51 back too so that'll be exciting to see and then of course um Matt Charter and uh Jalen Robotham um in the Caltex car uh, for Charter Motorsport I think it is the number 118 they are it's also going to be the final great race for the Commodore or the Commodore nameplate as well given the fact that, you know, Holden, of course, ceased manufacturing quite a while ago now, a few years ago, and, you know, last year was supposed to be the last time that a Commodore raced in supercars, but given the fact that Gen 3 was delayed again till now 2023, um, this will be the final great race for the Commodore as well. It's the winner of the last two races, as we know, 2020, Shane Van Gisberg and Gaia Garth Tander won. And of course, last year, Chaz Mostert and Lee Holdsworth. Those two, of course, in separate cars this year, given the fact that um, Lee Holdsworth has returned to full-time racing and is aboard Grove Racing's uh, Penwright Mustang. And of course, it'll be his last Bathurst 1000 as a full-time driver, so that'll be an interesting one to see how he goes with young Matt Payne, who will make his debut. In terms of the championship, Shane Van Gisbergen clear by 545 points. Um, he could wrap up the title if he scores enough for a 600-point gap, and we have heard him say that because of the lead he's got in the championship and the unlikeliness that um, anyone's going to kind of challenge that now is that he can actually go for a full um, tilt at, you know, winning this race too. Where otherwise, if the points were a bit more closer to his rivals, he might end up, um, you know, being conservative and just look at protecting that championship lead. But for Van Gisbergen and Tander to go after another Bathurst together, I think they're definitely one of those um, contenders that are up there. You've got the likes of uh, Chaz Mostert again in that 25 Walkinshaw and Dreddy United car together with Fabian Coulthard this year. I think they'll be just as quick as, you know, Mostert was with Holdsworth last year and Coulthard no slouch either. Um, first season on the sidelines for him in a while too. So I think being in a fast car like that, he will look as sharp as he did back in the DGR Penske days before the whole Debris thing in <laughs> 2019 let's not talk about that um a number six car as well cam waters with james moffat again so a bit of consistency with that lineup i'm sure they'll be quite 
looked at as being favourable when it comes to qualifying as well and, you know, just pulling it off because Waters has finished on the podium, I think, or he's finished runner-up, mind you, the last two years at the great race. So he did in 2020 with Will Davison and then um, 2021 there with Moffat. So, you know, can they go one better and win their first uh, 1,000? We'll see. You also got to say that the 88 car, Brock Feeney, will be partnering up with his boss, Jamie Wincup, who, you know, hasn't had the best results at Bathurst in quite some time, but he's still a four-time winner. Um, they can do something, I'm sure, both the DGR cars, the 11 and the, or not the 11, I should say, it's actually changed to number 100 this weekend for um, Anton Di Pasquale and for Tony Delberto, just um, celebrating 100 races with Repco, so they've got that number, and then of course the Davison brothers Will and um, Alex in the 17, and also a special livery for DGR this weekend, they're celebrating their 1000th race in Australian touring cars, so that's why they've got that throwback 1998 livery on there, a nice honour as well for the great Dick Johnson to um, help unveil the um, Gen 3 Mustang as well this weekend, of course, the Mustang supercar getting a facelift. Um, as part of Ford's new lineup heading into 2023, where they've got, you know, their NASCAR and GT3 um, programs as well, all getting facelifts. So, huge honor for Dick Johnson to do that, which is exciting. Personally, I'd love to see a small team like a Team 18 um, potentially win this one. We saw in the first practice session that was miraculously dry, given the fact that we're going to have wet running all weekend pretty much. And we know rain creates chaos at Bathurst. Um, I would, and so I was trying to say we saw in that first practice session James Golding in the Subway Premier higher car, second fastest, you know, in like a hundredth off Will Davison's uh, benchmark time for the session. So, you know, could could he? possibly pull something out of the bag you know it's too early to say but I'd love to see one of those small teams win team 18 would be a good one you know Scott Pye there Tyler Evering with Tyler Everingham and also uh the seasoned Mark Winterbottom and Michael Caruso of course Caruso having been on the podium before and Winterbottom the 2013 winner back in the FPR days and of course Brad Jones Racing too a team that's not yet won the Bathurst 1000, they've had so much bad luck over the years there, Andre Heimgartner though was third fastest in that first session, so that will be encouraging to see that they've got pace again, but um, yeah, with their four cars, you know, you'd hope that someone like a Heimgartner can get up there and do a good job, Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, we've got such a great field this year with those wild cards. We've got 27 Bathurst 1000 victories across them. So you got Lowndes, you got Greg Murphy, Jamie Wincup, Tander, Davison, Mostert, Lee Holdsworth, Van Gisbergen, Nick Perkat, David Reynolds. They're all, you know, Bathurst winners. It's so great. Could it be one of those guys again to make it a repeat win? Who knows? We'll see. It is quite special you know having it back at its normal time of the year the last couple of years not having crowds there either properly I think you know this will be like a full-on um full-on festival and you know great race to see with uh you know still the championship on the line too or you know yet to be wrapped up kind of thing 
as I said, wet race expected, the earliest start time as well, um, at quarter past 11, uh, Australian Eastern Daylight Time, but rain should see a bit of chaos and perhaps the race go a bit later you know i hate the fact that there's that clash with the japanese grand prix that we've got to negotiate too so gonna have to get the dual screens out and manage that but it's all part of the fun at the end of the day and it's just great to be at this stage in the year where we've got another bathurst 1000 that we're looking forward to top 10 shootout as always probably one of the highlights as well drivers alone with a mountain for one special lap it's one of the best sites in motorsport so yeah definitely look forward to summarizing it and recapping it for you next week other than that that's pretty much it um i will be back next week of course for the roundup of the japanese grand prix any findings from the cost cap uh, document and the bathurst 1000 so until then everyone take care Stay safe, have a good weekend. Um, follow me, of course, on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. And of course, there's a link tree there to go through to all my other um, places as well, or other links, you know, such as the Raw for the articles and Instagram if you want to. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.